The Revision Speaker Series is a Guildhouse initiative bringing together creative minds from around the globe to discuss contemporary arts practice. Revision has been curated as a COVID response, enhancing connectivity, sustainability and well-being across the arts community. This podcast is an audio recording from a live Zoom session recorded on Ghana Country. Good morning, everyone. My name is Emma Fay and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Guildhouse for one more week. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome you here. Oh my goodness. All I can say is that we can agree that we're at one with the elements today. And we thank Mother Nature for welcoming us here today on beautiful Ghana country, here by the Onkaparinga River. It is incredibly special to have the opportunity to bring everyone together in one place. This is the first in-person symposium we've been able to have since 2019 which in itself is quite shocking when you think about it because the last few years have felt so big and so epic and so much has happened um, and there's been opportunities to come together but they have been challenging, uh, tested and sometimes um, made impossible by various external forces and so it is really beautiful even in these conditions to be able to spend some time together and we do have contingency plans. If things get a bit wild and woolly, we'll, we'll put some other plans in place but thank you for sticking with us for the moment. Radical Practice provides a platform for us all to come together and explore big and small gestures that shape our individual and collective practices. How we navigate the industry as artists and arts writers, how to work genuinely within the community and with integrity towards ourselves and others. And we're exploring these issues throughout the voices and experiences of those joining us today. And we encourage you to all contribute to the conversation during lunch and during the breaks. So what we've decided to do is not necessarily have formal Q&A after each of the panel talks. We really just want to foster genuine conversation where you can have a meaningful exchange. And so rather than throwing it open to the floor, we um, encourage you to have conversations with each other and with the speakers after each of the panels. I really want to acknowledge the incredible team at Onkaparinka City Council and Zalbia House for hosting us and sharing this with us today. It's really special. Janie and I had a little chuckle. We've talked about hosting things together since I started at Guildhouse and it's finally happened almost six years later. Um, But there'll be many, there has been many points of intersection and there'll be many, many more to come, I have no doubt. Please do support the artists and their businesses that are here today. Lara Tilbrook and her family at Bush Organics, Brad Darkson and family at Moonrise Seaweed, and it's my great pleasure to introduce Asham Yalpina Owen from Nankiriwara. Asham is a proud Ghana, Naranjeri and Naranga woman. Nankiwara is a Ghana female-led cultural group that aims to magnify the existence of matriarchy on the Ghana Yada through language, dance and culture. And it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Asham to you now. Thank you. Nankana Mirna, Gawo Nalia Napadlalia, Yungandalia Yakanandalia Kuma, Nanari Asham Yalabina Owen, Nadalu Ghana Yatanga and Burundi, for those who don't know, Namani means a good, and if you're good, you say Mani I. So Namani. Right, you enjoying the rain? It's pretty good. <laughs> All right, my name is Asham Owen. I'm a proud Ghana, Naranga, and Naranjeri woman. Um, as uh, Emma said, I'm from a group called Nankiwara. Nankiwara in Ghana means the women's voices. Um, I'd like to acknowledge all of my elders that have paved the way for generations before me, pay respects to all the Ghana that were, all the Ghana that are, and all the Ghana that will be. I um, would also like to extend that respect to other First Nations people here from other nations today. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge that we are on the banks of the Onkapringa. Um, and Onkapringa comes from the word Nanki Paringa. Nanki, women, Pari, 
river and the locative suffix, if I may. Um, it means that this is the women's place on the river. So it's really great to be here today. Um, so Nankiwara is really all about amplifying and elevating the voices of Ghana women on Ghanayata and magnifying the existence of our matriarchy. Um, it is my honour to welcome you here today. Um, we are going to sing a song together, if you don't mind. Um, it's called Nina Mani Song. Some of you may have heard it, some of you might not have had but uh, it's a really special song, um, one of the first songs that was used to um, revive Ghana language. Um, Ghana language, although some may think it was extinct, if it was extinct, it would never have been able to be as alive as it is today. Um, so we say that it was a sleeping language. Um, but we are trying to um, awaken it as much as we can. So in the honour of sharing Ghana language with you, we'll, I'll start and then you guys can repeat it back. Nina Mani, 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 I, Mani, I, Wanti Nina, Wadliana. That was easy enough. Well done. <laughs> All right. Um, the last thing I'm going to do with you um, is called the Land Shaker Spirit Waker. If any of you have seen Nankiwara um, do a Welcome to Country before, it's something that we do to get you involved. Um, for those who are willing and able, I invite you to stand with me, please. Um, please do not fall over. <laughs> Nankiwara takes no liability for any injuries sustained today. <laughs> um, so this... Um, short activity, I guess, is really about acknowledging the deep connection that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have with country. Um, it's about acknowledging that relationship of reciprocity and the energy that uh, we need to give back to country as much as country gives to us um, and really acknowledging that energy shift. So I'll start and you guys can join in. Thank you. You may be seated. Marnina Budni, Ganriyatana, Padni Padni Mabuki Mukabando. I say it's good that you've come to Ghana country. And I ask that as you travel these plains, you remember the people that came before us because their spirit still lives amongst the roads, the concretes, the steels, the lawns, and the waters. Machalia and Nakra. Hello, thank you so much, Asham. That was beautiful and I'd like to pay my respects to the unceded lands of the Ghana people, pay my respects to uh, um, elders emerging past and present and to all First Nations people that are with us today. So I'm Debbie Pryor. I'm the Artistic Program Manager at Guildhouse. I don't know why I had to look down and read that, but I did. Because um, <laughs> I'm excited. This is the first thing we've done in public for a very long time. So I welcome you all to Radical Practice. Um, we have invited you here today to discuss with one another our art practice, collectively, how we make, why we make, who we make with. In particular, it's the relationships within our practice that I hope to unpack, how we grow and foster relationships and how those connections inform our practice and form our engagement in the industry. These relationships and community become integral to who we are and how we make. Our first panel, um, hosted by Jane Bates, OAM, just dropping that in there, Jane, um, known for her activism on KI and in particular her involvement in the Sculpture Trail, looks at action. The action of three artists, Louise Flaherty, Henry Jock Walker and Clem Newchurch, 
and the ways in which they have built a project for community or built their practice around working with others. The artwork they make probably couldn't be more different from one another, but there's a commonality in their openness and the way that they share to collaborate and will no doubt be revealed in their conversation. I'd like to welcome the speakers up here. Um, I'm Jane Bates and I'm going to facilitate this session with these gorgeous folk. Um, first of all, I must say um, I'm not an artist uh, and I hold you in the greatest esteem because um, I battle to draw a stick figure, uh, but I do understand the value of art, especially in the community and what it brings. Um, I'm the chair of the Kangaroo Island Sculpture Trail and have been since its inception. It's a community free to use project that we built on a piece of unused land in our community that just doesn't support and value art in the community, but improves the environment, builds community pride, Adds to our economy of our region and our town by, you know, getting folk to stay longer. But it also vastly improves the health and well-being of our community in times of need. Um, art can bring great joy to a community, great joy, but it also can be <clears throat> that tool that everyone needs in times of distress, whether it's disaster, whether it's loss, whether it's isolation, disconnection, we've all just gone through with COVID. Um, I think that disconnection it can't be understated. Um, you know, our community has gone through recent disaster and we've celebrated that resilience through art. Our community has gone through deep grief of recent times and that is about to be um, recognised through art on the trail. In fact, our community has just raised over $35,000 to celebrate one individual um, who we lost. Um, that one individual had a mantra of joy. Uh, she used to often say, how can I fill your bucket? And I think as artists working in a community, that's what it's all about. How can you fill someone else's bucket? Um, whether it is that joyful bucket or whether it is that bucket needed at times of um, despair. Um, and what I need to say is there are, there are these three gorgeous humans alongside me all have that mantra within their own practice. And um, my first question, I suppose, is I'd like them to introduce themselves to you because their stories are powerful and worth telling. So... Louise, perhaps we'll start with you at the end. Hi, my name's Louise. I'm a visual artist. Um, I am a socially engaged artist and I'm um, inspired by nature and um, everything that's around me. And the thing that I think is I, I get really passionate about is researching flora in my area and plants and what used to grow here, what doesn't grow here anymore, and, and, and that comes out in my practice and I kind of move around to different communities and 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 research research that. Um, I also have a, a practice where I have worked within um, community arts. Um, it's actually about ten years ago in the Northern Territory, and that was very much in a community cultural development manner in a regional arts organisation um, as well. Lisa, oh, that oh, sorry, <laughs> not, not used to talking in front of people. 
Yeah, I uh, I think that's all I'll talk about in my practice and we can keep moving on, yeah. Your turn, Clem. Yeah, so um, Clem Newchurch, um, Ghana, Naranga, Gugathamen, um, lived in this southern area for the majority of my life. Um, my Ghana ancestry is to this land here down south, so um, my grandfather's father's mother's mother's mother was a Ghana woman from this country. Her name was Nellie Raven Yammerin. She, she lived in this country uh, before Europeans actually landed and come and, you know, moved on to the mainland here in South Australia. Around that time, though, so there was um, non-Aboriginal, mainly men, who were based on Kangaroo Island, um, sealers. Um, those sealers would occasionally come to the mainland, go to Narunga, Nyadanjeri and Ghana country and Palawa country, so over in Tasmania, and steal Ghana women and take them across to Kangaroo Island. So my great-great-great-great-grandmother, she was taken by a man named John Wilkins from the mainland around Rapid Bay um, and taken across to Kangaroo Island. Uh, for Ghana, Kangaroo Island is known as like the land of the dead, the land of spirits. Ghana didn't live on Kangaroo Island for thousands of years. We did have people that would travel across there occasionally, um, but that was a special place for, for Ghana. And it would have been a pretty horrific life, I think, for Nellie Ramanyama and she was taken away from traditional lands, taken away from her family, taken away across to a place where she believed her ancestors' spirits were resting. So um, in acknowledging elders, I like to tell those stories about Nellie Ramanyama um, just to recognise that, you know, if it wasn't for her strength and the um, strength for survival of her children, a lot of Ghana people wouldn't be here today. So, yeah, so I've only fairly recently started calling what I do art. Um, really what I've done for many years is just try to connect with culture as much as I possibly can and learn as much about our old people's ways, um, which has been a source of strength for me. Um, but fairly recently I've had um, uncles say that you need to be getting this stuff out there. You need to be sharing what you're doing with young people because this is what's going to inspire the next generation and um, that's what's going to you know, ensure the survival of our culture as well. So my practice, um, I do arts and crafts, like crafty kind of stuff, carving, um, make um, string out of native fibres. Um, and fairly recently, uh, me and uncle, an uncle from Narunga country, he lives at Wallaroo, Uncle Peter Turner. Uncle Peter Turner and myself um, had an exhibition which toured from the Adelaide Museum went to Gallery M at Marion and then um, down to Aldinga Bay Indy College and um, that exhibition's called Ghana Still Here. So I um, had a bit of success with that and um, that's why I've been asked to come today. G'day. Uh, yep. Okie dokes. I'm Henry Jock. Thanks for having us here today. Uh, my practice, I love surfing. <laughs> that's uh, a big foundation for me, the connection to surfing and surfing community. I actually worked here at Port Nalunga Aquatics for nearly 18 years. Yeah, so I suppose surfing my individual practice and the, that community, I've part run a small art space called Good Bank Gallery down in McLaren Vale and part of a, um, a very multi-arts collective called The Bait Fridge. So that's uh, a snowball organism in itself. Um, yeah, so that's, prob that's probably the, the three-spot three foundation. Beauty, thank you. Look, communities can be your own neighbourhood, your own street, your own town. It can be a community that 
isn't doesn't exist anymore that you actually build as an artist around you. It can be a group of like-minded people across the world, like the surfing community. It can be as a classroom, uh, a remote community, or a hospital ward. And these three people here have worked in all of those. And I think when you think of your community, don't be tunnel visioned about your street or the people that live in your postcode because a community could be so many different things. So perhaps based on that premise, and Jock, I might start with you. Yeah. There's a lovely bit I found on the website about you, about a van you own that seemed to have started your journey that led you into community around Australia and your surfing community. So can you perhaps tell us how that van gave you the start? Yeah, absolutely. Henry's, Henry's Mobile Studio, I called it. And <clears throat> that's something that's definitely still going. I've got a, a new version at the moment, but it's uh, evolved into lots of tangents in my practice, I think. But that original idea coming out of art school, I was did my honours in Melbourne and I was like, what well, I'm kind of obviously com- combining lots of interests, but wanting to travel around Australia and learn about Australia before kind of learn about art and Australia and my own connection to that. My own connection to art at home before kind of, I think it's, pretty easy to jump out and go overseas real quick and I, and I was I suppose kind of bought this van and devised this project to do, do a lap of the country thinking of my van as an, as an open idea of studio and questioning kind of, kind of having, having open questions I've been thinking about it a bit in the last few days in um, the lead up to this talk and I think I was just had this big girl that I was trying to understand something trying to understand people and what I was doing and why I was doing it and I think what one of the biggest things I learned was the good thing about being in that process was being so open to a question and how that opened up so many other questions and it, maybe it wasn't about finding that one big question that overcome everything but by having that big question it opened up you know it opened up a, a myriad of questions that were that excited me and and through meeting lots of people as I traveled around and we had a project Jesse Lum Bradley and I had a project called Tarp Space that was an open idea of an art space. And I feel like that open idea of an art space and supporting other artists as I was kind of doing my own ideas as I was traveling around was just as or more beneficial because I, I felt like really proud or confident to try and push these awesome artists that I was working with when I was like traveling around to someone would pitch a project to us that was in the middle of a tiny country town that had never seen a contemporary artwork in ever. So to try and be the kind of excite that local community about this like minimal tarp sculpture in in a paddock in the in the area it was it was a really good challenge and a fun challenge and I felt like it was a great way to meet people all, all around the country and I think a lot of those relationships have been the foundation of my ongoing practices there's been lots of um, connections that are that are still really strong from that original original journey around the country and the van's still going strong and getting covered with paint pretty regularly. One thing that was missing from the website was a photo of the van. I'd love to see it. So perhaps we put it up one day. It'd be really <laughs> great. Clem, you, you came up from the community involvement from a different angle in a couple of ways. One, you were an educator and a community development officer maybe before you were an artist. So you had that community embedded in you, not only through that process, but through the fact of being an Indigenous man so the sense of community, you might be a little different or it might be the same as the rest of us. How do you see the way you engage your community and is it the same or is it different? That's a bit of a tricky one. I guess um, <laughs> um, I guess my background is um, 
So working in schools, so I worked as an Aboriginal Community Education Officer and an Aboriginal Secondary Education Transition Officer <laughs> for many years um, in schools, so supporting young Aboriginal students with a whole range of, um, you know, wellbeing, educational issues, um, basically, you know, being as there for support with anything that we possibly could within the school system. Yeah, I guess that was a bit of a prompter on my journey, you know, just interacting with young people. I mean, definitely in our culture, there's a big intergenerational element where, you know, we have the elders are our authority, you know, um, but then, you know, making sure that we're bringing young people up and, and teaching them skills and, and, you know, teaching them culture so that that culture continues. So, yeah, I guess um, working in schools and, um, you know, just interacting with young people kind of prompted a couple of these activities, I guess, um, where I first started. So weaving um, was going down to Camp Kurong, down uh, Meningi way, so Nyaranjeri country, um, Aunty Ellen Trevorrow, so they run um, you know, weaving programs down there. So I learned how to weave from Aunty Ellen. And um, so on Nyaranjeri country, but then you know, after doing a bit of research and looking at things like you know, the items in the museum, uh, Ghana also did a similar weaving style. So I brought that practice back onto my country I found the plants that were used fairly kind of local to my area and started harvesting and, um, yeah, just trying to work out as much as I could myself, I guess. So I'd kind of been shown that, the style, and, um, yeah, the more that I kind of went out and physically handled the plants, it's like the plants show you things. So, you know, you're picking up little tips and tricks every time you're doing it, and, um, yeah, I guess that's... That was the start of my journey, and um, then you know taking that with into schools, and you know, so during recess and lunch, sitting down and weaving with young Aboriginal students. I have a few of those students still weaving today, and um, you know doing pretty much the same as what I'm doing, like experimenting with plants, trying to work out um, different fibres, you know, trying to work out those different techniques to make string and. And um, you know, learning the net knots and trying to revive these cultural practices that weren't extinct, like Sister Girl said there. But um, you know, that probably laid dormant on our country for potentially over a hundred years. So you know, it's really important for me to you know be involved in that cultural revival, and it's really important for me to ensure that I'm passing that on to younger generation, I'm not just holding that knowledge for myself. What a wonderful story! Yeah, there is your story is, is very different in the importance of that community sharing. Um, Louise, I've, I was amazed when I read your CV. I think I said to you when I talked to you on the phone, I expected to see someone who was about ninety because her CV is so extensive. You've not only worked in remote communities, um, you've not only applied your own trade uh, as an artist but you've even taken that sense of community and built it in a hospital ward or a classroom, brought it right down to a tiny community that was newly formed. So the value, I think, one of the ones that I really was amazed at, you handed out 100 cameras to people in a remote community and got them to, before mobile phones, by the way, um, and the results were 
uh, it warmed my soul to watch it. So that simple task. So perhaps the the benefit you found to that community, that remote community, or even that hospital ward from your involvement in them, would you like to perhaps talk about that? Yeah, I'll talk about that um, briefly. The um, the camera project was um, quite a long time ago. That was probably 12 years ago um, when I was in my final year at Berkeley Regional Arts. I'd been working there for four years in the community and I think by that stage I'd gotten to know the community. Um, and also just want to say it wasn't just my project. It was There was a team of us and it was an organisational project but it was a my, my big thing in the community was about they had a, a festival in, in Tennant Creek and um, the festival had just, people had lost the, the, the joy and the oomph out of the festival and over the, all of those years it was about getting ways of different parts of the community to be involved and excited again about the festival and felt like it was a number of years of leading up to that project before we really figured something out that... Um, everyone in the whole community and surrounding communities was involved in and participated in and, yeah, it was it was the most beautiful thing to have everyone go away and make their own images and bring them back and then curate, you know, a photogra- photographic exhibition of that and to, you know, have insights into everybody's lives um, that people have taken the photos themselves. It wasn't someone going in and taking photos. It was really beautiful. I suppose and all of that work in, in Tennant Creek, when I moved back to Adelaide, I think really, um, what's the word, it, it drove how I wanted my artistic practice to be. I wanted my artistic practice to be a part of the community and to not sit solely in, in galleries. I wanted it to have, be, you know, involved with people and um, and to be, you know, out, out in the community. I don't know if I'm doing that particularly well and I feel like it's very much a learning process and every project that I do, I learn something else and change and, and, and do. So the example you mentioned of the classroom, that was something I did two years ago at Lobethal Primary School where I was working um, as an artist-in-residence for the Sala Festival and that was during COVID. And at, at the beginning we thought it was all going to be remote and luckily we had a moment where I was able to go into the classroom and from from my research and my practice I had been researching the significant plants of Lobethal Bushland Park which had been affected by the fires in 2019. And um, so I'd, you know, been doing that research and I went into the classroom and was, you know, working with the whole, all of the kids in the whole school and thought, oh, let, you know, let's, let's get excited and let's draw and learn about some of these, you know, um, significant plants, rare plants. And then I soon figured out really quickly that, I mean, the kids were interested, but they weren't, they weren't that interested. So then it was about listening to, to, that, to that classroom and figuring out what interested them. And what we came up with was people wanted to tell me their stories of Bushland Park. A lot of these kids had grown up doing bush kindy in the park and we they started making drawings about their stories and, and different things and and that was that was the collective project was was all of those children's um, drawing their, their memories and stories of the park and often there would be the same memory from a number of kids that would all draw different versions and that was really beautiful as well having that so I suppose the thing I find with working in community is going in and listening and responding to community that I find really valuable. Yeah, it's it's amazing with the communities, with the different voices in a community that 
you've got to listen to each one and try and wangle through it. Clem, when you're sharing your art, you're making sure their heritage continues. I'm absolutely sure there'd be another payback, another benefit to sharing not just art but your culture and 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 the mantra that you wear um, with your students, whether young or old. Can you perhaps explain a time where, yeah, you get more back or you give more than just art? Yeah, so I, I struggled to call what I did art for a long time. For me, it was just about engaging in culture and, uh, you know, for our old people, they didn't make what they made to be art pieces. That was just part of life, you know, and it was part of um, all of those cultural practices. So, you know, everything intertwined and, and working together, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the benefits, I guess, that I see in sharing what I do, yeah, so it's, it is about that culture revival, but, you know, there's many other outcomes as well. You know, um, one thing that's big for me is kind of breaking down some of the barriers around racism and things like that. And for me, I think um, in sharing the positives in culture, especially with young people, young people love what we share because it is about, um, you know, surviving on the landscape and not impacting on that landscape. And I think um, for young people, young people are concerned about environment you know, they, they want to know things, they want to know how to survive on the land, they want to know about plants, and, you know, um, you can spark that interest by engaging young people in these cultural practices, and that extends beyond Aboriginal students, you know. So involving non-Aboriginal students is an opportunity to, uh, I guess, break down some of those barriers and you know, educate the broader community on um, you know, the the beauty and um, you know the, the amazing aspects of our culture. And, yeah, but those amazing aspects of our culture that ensure the survival of our old people on this landscape for thousands of years. So again, for me, it's not just about art; it's about everything. I guess um, you know, it's about the land, it's about you know the, the culture, it's about the stories, it's about the, the dance, it's about the sky, it's about the ocean, it's about everything. You know, not just specifically doing you know, art for art's sake. So, the Martin, I presume there's an awful lot of pride from your elders as well. Comes your way. Yeah. What um, are you doing? Yeah, that's one of the main reasons why I do it, I guess. Um, definitely having, um, you know, positive feedback from elders reinforces what I'm doing, I guess. Um, kind of makes me more confident. Like I said, I'm, my background is also community development, so I've worked in local government before. You know, in developing youth programs, you know, there's a lot of study and research that have been done into um, connecting young people with cultural identity. And, um, you know, so the more connected young people are with culture, the more you see positive self-esteem, self-confidence, pride in self, pride in culture. So, And all of those outcomes translate to bigger things for, for young people. So quite often when you see a young person who's culturally strong and engaged in their culture, quite often they don't have as many social issues, you know, don't face as many social issues, and they're, um, you know, the future leaders of our communities. So, so it's really, you know, just encouraging that and, you know, trying to share what we do with that, those young people so they have that strength and pride in culture and, you know, they can go out to their friends and they, they, they're the experts, you know. They can share stuff about bush foods and that is a great source of pride for them and um, the outcomes are just... You know, you don't see all those outcomes straight away. Thank you. Jock, you've 
it, sometimes you've come at community from a different angle and the fact you didn't have one, you built one around you. And I think the Good Bank Gallery is one where you actually build a community and the bait fridge might be something similar. Now, the bait fridge I don't know a lot about. And for anyone here, I live on an island, so I've got a bait fridge and it certainly is not an artistic piece, I trust me. It's um, a very smelly, old, rusty sort of fridge in the back corner of the shed. So um, can you talk to us about what bait fridge might be? Yeah, absolutely. Bait fridge, come, the name come from that very smelly raw thing that you're talking about. We, were in, we did a, a invited to do a project at um, Blenheim Festival up north and a few mates and I just were like, let's get all the kind of seconds from our studios, all the, all the junk and take it to this um, – take this festival and see what happens and we collected lots of stuff from the local dump at the same time. So I was like, yeah, basically like going there with no idea what we were going to do. And, yeah, this group has evolved. We kept going back year after year and we found a bait fridge in the in the dump next door, <laughs> in the family's dump that was running the festival and it had great text on it that said bait fridge. But I think the great thing about the bait fridge is that it's, it's a multi kind of every, – everyone that's involved is not really – it's real open to – there's a, lots of different art forms. Um, live art is the, is the core, I think, to that. And that that original process was like really, yeah, it was really ready, set, go. And then I think from from that experience, we're like, all right, everyone's coming to watch this, and we better now. It, I think it became a performance in the process. So that wasn't planned. Like we were, none of us were performing artists, but the process of us making stuff live, we kind of were like understanding people's connection to that at the time and we um yeah i think everyone that's been part of bait fridge i think there's been lots of room for everyone to get their own things out of it and i think that's why it's slowly grown and been such a ongoing commitment for lots of people is because every i think it's it's been a slow grower and everyone kind of can come to that and try like there's lots of people that maybe haven't been performing artists but um or come from a performance background but, but there is lots of people now that are starting to have theater backgrounds and that and it's expanding in those directions but originally i think it was it was like a, a really good testing ground for us to think about that that kind of what happens in live performance i suppose or in that in, in that exchange and um, it's been great to see how that evolved. And in COVID times, we did a, a residency in the mill and it, and it became a way that everyone like really locked in. And I feel like it's, it's yeah, there's a band, Slow Mango, that's growing out of that, that's doing doing really well. And um, yeah, I feel like everyone is, in, there's about 20 of us now and, and we're still, we're, we're meeting every week and we're, there's lots of, lots of projects that are always continually evolving. So that answered the question. No, no, it does. <laughs> because see, you built your own community, which... It doesn't have to be an established one sometimes. It can be a whole new one that you collect up. None of us here could ever imagine our public spaces or our world without art. As I said at the beginning, it not only builds joy but it helps us through those times of great need. And I'm presuming there are times where you've run your works in the, in the community where you've had consequences or outcomes that have far exceeded your expectations or maybe went in a totally different direction that the the benefit to a community was more than just art. Louise, is there any time where you found that, I mean, it might have been about the improved health and well-being, it might have been about overcoming loneliness, overcoming um, fear in a hospital ward, lots of things. There are things, but I, th I 
I can't think of anything really specific. Often they're really small things. I know some things with um, a lot of the workshops I run, you know, in, in community and they're often alongside my exhibitions and it's all about getting to know plants better and like it's it's like I know it sounds a bit cheesy but planting seeds of curiosity in other people and I feel like, I mean, I don't have any documented evidence but that thing of, you know, having people come and participate in those workshops and then go away and think about maybe researching some of those native plants that grew in their area and putting them in their backyard. Yeah, I can't think of anything really specific as a specific outcome. I mean, there were a lot of going back, um, you know, working in a regional arts organisation, there were huge amounts of um, outcomes that weren't just art outcomes. It was, you know, economics and health and wellbeing and, and, and things and yeah, art's not. Yeah, it's not always just the art. There's, there's so many, so many things. Conversation starters and thinking, and yeah, and also just actually, I can think of one thing. I've just remembered when I was here, I did a residency at Sabia House, and I was working. Um, I did a little bit of work with the sustainability team at the city of Onkaparinga, and um, I invited them to come in. A whole lot of their like must have been then whether it's their NRM section or the environment section. And they they all have, you know, pretty busy, stressful jobs. And I, I invited them in for like a drawing workshop for an hour and it was really hard for them to fit in around all their meetings. But they came in and, and we, you know, we sat and we drew and we talked, you know, thinking about plants and we were drawing the plants that they often work with. And I didn't realise it and it was, it was afterwards, I think it was quite a bit afterwards, whether it was a few weeks, one of the people, you know, spoke to me and said, thank you for that because that was something, you know, this is the work that we do but we actually stop and we don't have time to stop and, 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 and have that space to think about, about this and to stop. And, and she said there was this moment where they all as a team came together afterwards and, and were, you know, reminded about why they do what they do, you know, just things like, like that. So I suppose that's yeah. a thing. Yeah, remind them of the beauty of what they're working to protect. I mean, I had a really good example. We had a project called um, the Rattle Tree Project where every one of our community were invited in to make a beautiful rattle um, with a gentleman called Matt Neatham who's a basket weaver with native plants. And um, it was a time of where there was a great need, there was a community in distress and just weaving carefully under a tree to hang a rattle in a tree with a bell that sang when every time the wind blowed was the relief from the grief was measurable almost in that process. Clem, I'm presuming that, you know, when you're sharing your art, and I know you hesitate to call it that, but the benefits are far more than passing on that skill or that artistic element that you would get back a sense of, I suppose, impacting that individual's life in far greater way than giving them the skills of art. Yeah, I think individuals but also community as a whole, you know, going back to you know, everything being kind of interconnected for our culture, you know, when, when we're involved in other cultural revival practices, um, you know, like, you know, going out and learning about plants or... You know, learning about landscapes, learning language, you know, um, you know, picking up those artistic practices, I guess, it's all interconnected. Like, so they all complement each other. So, you know, we, we do stuff in, in the fire space, for example, you know, and bringing back Aboriginal land use, land management techniques, you know, utilising fire. That's actually complements our artistic practices because by repairing landscapes, that gives us more access to our materials. For example, that also gives us access to more foods, you know, which coincides, you know, with that culture. 
it, it also, you know, if we're looking into place names, you know, and and you know, recovering that that language, we're learning stuff from those place names, and we're we're finding out the best places to harvest materials, and you know what what would have been in those areas before the impacts of European settlement in this area. Um, you know, a lot of damage has occurred on our landscape, so it is kind of difficult um, in some aspects to try and access some of those materials. But, you know, the more that we're involved in all of that cultural revival, the more it complements each other and, yeah, so it's, it's all in- interconnected for us, yeah. Doc, would you ever stop working in the community? I don't think so. <laughs> I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, creating the situations of, like, making stuff with friends and, like, yeah, peers and, and new people, um, I find, yeah, it's kind. Of, I suppose it's real similar to art school, where you, where you kind of in in a situation where you're all learning something, and it's exciting. Like to, I think, to continually create a framework that that engages yourself and and that therefore helps engage the others, uh, like the people that you're working with. I think, but the the um, I think over the years from doing so many different variations of like situations of making and with uh, with other people that. Yeah, there has been, you know, sometimes I've done something in a in a little town where like two years later I go back and hang out and someone's like, oh, I was at a real bad time in my life and just by hanging out with you people and doing that thing. And that, like, maybe it's just someone that's taken photos or like someone that's doing something that they, that you might not even quite understand that engagement, but just having that open situation and that reason to connect that might not be a normal something that they've imagined can, I think, is, is a really healthy thing and especially... I think in general, like there's a lot of disconnect. There's seen more disconnect between people. So the more humans can be with humans, I think uh, it's good. I think that the message is never underestimate the impact your art can be in a providing that you know opportunity to others, whether it's in a public space or a private space. It's um, something we can't live without. Um, that disconnection that we've all just been through. Clem, I presume you're, you're never going to stop working in community, are you? It's just such a passion. And I don't think I'd be allowed to. <laughs> you know, I don't think elders would allow me to. So, um, and it's something, you know, that I've worked, I guess, pretty hard to, you know, gain that respect from elders so that I can, you know, have a voice in these spaces. And um, for me, in the artistic sense, I'm, I'm just amazed. You know, the more that I learn, the more that, and like I said, for me, it's um, going out, walking through the bush, collecting materials, and actually working with those materials. And and I couldn't tell you how many times I feel I've felt like the plants are showing me things. And for us, it's, um, the way that I look at it is that's our ancestors speaking to us through those plants. So that's really important for me, you know, to continue that yeah, for that learning journey. I, I mean, my my mind is continually blown when it's like that. <laughs> those plants are talking to you, or you know, you, I might walk past something can just pick it up instinctively and then three weeks later I work out what I'm going to do with it. Yeah, those, uh, I guess, little epiphanies that amaze me. I think sharing that joy with other people is really important so that maybe they can encourage to go out for themselves and, and try and find those experiences for themselves. In my opinion, you know, if we're all doing that and, and, you know, reconnecting back with the environment, then it's only going to be beneficial for all of us. We all know that, you know, climate change and the way that we're living nowadays isn't sustainable. Modern day sciences are only just starting to work that out, that 30 years ago, the problems that we created are creating more problems for us today. But when you look at our old people's way 
there's 60,000 plus minimum years of sustainability. So there's a lot that we can learn from our old people. You know, we say that we've our old people were here from the first sunrise. So you know, there's a lot of knowledge about that landscape, a lot of knowledge about plants and um, you know, there's intricate systems you know, that in the past were seen as primitive, but there's actually a lot more technicality than even a lot of modern-day sciences. A lot of modern-day sciences are only catching up to the knowledge of our old people. So for me, I think we're in a pretty important time where um, if we don't make some drastic changes, we're probably going to be facing some pretty bad hardships as a species in the potentially near future. If you believe the climate sciences, some climate scientists are saying 30 years and we might be facing extinction. That's only the last 200 years that that's occurred on this landscape. Whereas, uh, you know, our old people's systems were working with nature, you know, not trying to build on it. It was about us being part of that environment and uh, you know, dividing us from the environment. That's where we see a lot of the issues that we see today with land clearances and destroying the things that do sustain us or, or could be sustaining us. We've got more eco-biodiversity in one hectare of land in Mount Lofty than the whole of Europe. And every single one of those plants had multiple, multiple uses, like at least seven uses for each plant, thousands of plants. But they wiped out all those plants to grow one crop wheat. And nowadays we're just working out that, you know, gluten's not that good for us. And, you know, we probably should have left the kangaroo grasses out there and been making breads out of them. For me, it's, um, again, it's all about learning. It's all about trying to work out as much as I can about our old people's ways, because in my opinion, they had it right. It rings home and I come from a place where climate change has already wrecked massive havoc and disaster. So we're at the coalface, not probably 30 years away from it. Louise, how's all this work, beautiful work you've done in the community from, as I say, schools, hospitals to remote communities added to your artistic learnings? I was just thinking, following on from what you were saying, Claire, it's, it's like we all need to band together. I don't feel like I have to make work as an artist, but I have to make work with the tools that I have to help change and help, you know, gather people along for that journey of, of you know, loving the land and, and caring and making change. I, in some ways I nearly, you know, went back and went and, you know, uh, Part of me wanted to go back and study and do, um, you know, like natural resource management, something. And and then someone said to me, "We we have a, you know, a lot of people are doing that." And and also, I, I also thought I don't feel like there's enough time, and I need to use the tools that I have. And the tools that I have is my work as an artist and working in community. And that's what I'm going to try and keep doing. Yeah, using those tools to 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 help. It's not easy though, but yeah. No, great admiration to you, my friend, because I think that's um, it's very easy as an artist, I presume, to stay siloed in a studio. It's really difficult to step out in the community and try and manage many voices and many ideas and many thoughts. I think the value that you're adding, and I'm very glad you didn't go back to study, Louise, because I think there's an awful lot of people that have that but have somehow lost a um, sense of community as well. So I think that sense of community and what you're building within your communities is so valuable, reconnections and that learn the learnings that, Clem, you're giving, but, Louise, so are you, the value for our environment and the value for, of our communities and our social fabric is what you are all trying to achieve. But it's not easy. 
So there's some hardships along this road and some days you must think I might just step back in my gallery and shut the door and be that isolated silo again. So, Jock, start with you. Those difficult bits that you have to overcome, is it? When you're cleaning up after 20 bait fridge artists making a getting dressed up in costumes like I mean, I think that the hardships are also the times where you connect and, you know, the hardest parts of all the projects, like even cleaning the bait fridge studio when it because it gets so chaotic so quickly. It's like when 20 people are doing something, you know, when there's a large group of people doing something and you all get it done, it feels really good. And I think in those, in those, in those zones where you're like, you know, the worst part of every project ends up being where the best little bit happens or the, or the best thing that you have, you know, your, your best memory. So... I think making yourself vulnerable, going out and doing stuff in public, opening up those studio walls. I think, yeah, there's lots of variables that can happen, and it's like in those mistakes or in the in the bit that you don't know that you're scared of. That's probably I feel like where the there's the most chance of something happening that is potentially really good. Great comment. The worst can be the best. I actually call it leap and lurch. Um, I leap into projects having no idea where they're gonna go, and then you lurch a lot. But you get there in the end, but it shouldn't stop you from leaping in the first place. Clem, the difficult bits for you? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, for Aboriginal people all over Australia, I guess you know, we face a lot of difficulties in the way of um, the modern-day system doesn't really – it clashes with our old people's ways and value systems. So, you know, moral conundrums that we have, you know, even working in things like public artwork and in, you know, spaces like – you know the road bridges and things like that. You know that's that's contributing to the destruction, further destruction of of our country and our sacred sites. So there is that kind of moral conundrum there that you know we want we want that visual representation on our landscape. You know you go to places like you know, overseas, New Zealand and Aotearoa. You know where the culture of the Maori is in your face. It's celebrated. You know that's what we believe should happen here as well. Our culture should be celebrated. You know, it's the oldest surviving culture on the planet. So sometimes, you know, it can be upsetting when you know, the modern world um, sometimes works directly against that. So by extending Main South Road, widening the lanes, you know, we want to make our trip to work five minutes quicker in the morning, but we're ripping down all the trees, destroying, digging up our country which is uncovering our old people. You know, we've had a lot of old people who have been you know, removed from burial sites around this area. We've had 500,000-year-old trees cut down for the last 200 years. We don't have many of those things left. I guess for me and my artistic practice is about trying to promote that to the broader public as well and hopefully get more people appreciating the uniqueness of our culture on this landscape and the beauty and the amazing you know aspects of it um, so hopefully it kind of develops people develop a bit more respect and help us on you know bringing that culture back to this landscape i think um you know what we see on on country nowadays is you know because that country has lost its sense of identity we've lost, we've got a fractured identity as well on the land so i think the more that we can reconnect with the environment with the plants with nature the more that we will find those sustainable ways of living and everything that we need to survive was on this landscape. It'd be good to, you know, get it back. We know that our fruits are a lot healthier for us. We know our, you know, meats, our, our breads, our teas, they're all a lot healthier. It was a healthier diet, a healthier lifestyle. So like I said before, I think we can learn a lot from our old people. 
hard bits, Louise. There probably was a fair few, especially in your remote work in the community. There would be naysayers. There would be yeah. people with opinions way off beam, you know. How did you manage all that? I think going back to, yeah, working the work in the, you know, when I was working in a remote community, it's just I think my big thing is just listening to everyone in the community and not having an agenda about what you're wanting to do, taking the lead from the community. I think in terms of the hard things like now working with community, I mean, it can be really exhausting. I'm not a necessarily an extroverted person and you know, even just getting up and talking today is really hard. And then also, you know, running workshops is actually really exhausting and can only do so much, I think. Um, and the other, I suppose the other thing, I know Laura and I have had a lot of discussions about this. Of, there's a lot of work that we want to do and a lot of almost, you know, like using our arts as a- activism, but there's only so much that we can do that's unpaid. And I think that as much as, you know, we I mean, we have this conundrum, we don't want to necessarily, you know, live in a society where we have to make money, but then we have to buy it. For, for, yeah, it's it's just a really, it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky, tricky thing. We want to do what we love, but we want to, I suppose, be acknowledged for that as well. And sometimes that can make it hard to do more because we also, you know, have to have other jobs as well. So, and it's, you know, the other job and the balance in life and then only being able to do so much. Don't want to be negative. No, no. Funding for community projects is really, 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 really important. If the three of you were to give a message to these gorgeous folk in front of us about being involved in the community and doing what you lovely humans are doing, what would be the message you would want to give? Joe? Think quick. No, that's not the message. That's me talking to myself. Um, (laughs) No, no, no. That's all right. I think there is lots of hard, lots of hard work, but like making yourself vulnerable and opening up those doors to what you're up to, it's a great feeling when you make new discoveries and new connections, and you see other people getting stuff out of that. I think, yeah, I think it, I think it's a great thing to do, and the more that it happens in different variations, the more people we understand each other's practice. Like if, you, if you're working with, you know, the more I was thinking when I was talking about a part, the part before where I was creating frameworks, and I was thinking about both of your practices and lots of people that I'm looking at in the in the crowd here that that happens, and by their being a range of different people that are in those groups that the that are people are working with, they're connecting to their stories, and you know that it's that social the the connection, then creating the empathy for these different focuses. And I think yeah, the more that happens in different ways, the more effective it's going to be. It's not ever going to be one person doing one big thing. It's going to be lots of people doing lots of little things. So yeah, I agree with Jock. I think um, you know everything's about relationships. So it's um, you know coming together. There's only benefits with that, and um. But I guess for me, my message for everyone would be, where possible, it would be awesome if everyone could learn about the landscape that they live on. You know, a lot of people think about, when, when you're thinking about Aboriginal culture, a lot of people think about Uluru, but, you know, everywhere was sacred around the country. and We've got sacred sites around here as well, So, um, and a lot of, you know, rich history as well. So I encourage people to learn a, about local um, landscapes, learn about local plants, local, learn about local language, place names, things like that, and meet local people as well, Ghana people or other Aboriginal people, because with those conversations, that's when um, you know we make change in my mind. Agreed, um, and yeah, everything that you guys have said, yeah, especially that thing of we all we all have different ways of doing things and different skills and I think we can all tap in with different communities and I think it's important we all need to work together and the more of us doing stuff the more, the better. Uh, the, the advice I might give is when you go into community, if you're working in communities, just go in and listen, just go in and be quiet and listen. What you intend doing mightn't be what you actually end up doing, like that classroom you were talking about. I've had the same experience. Um, 
never presume you know the answer until you've asked the question because it could be very, very, very different from a community's point of view, what the need is and what you're trying to fulfil. But at the same time, I think as artists, what you give to a community is invaluable, absolutely invaluable in all sorts of aspects. And you know that bringing joy is important, that filling other people's buckets is really important. But at times of great need, it's absolutely vital and none of us can imagine living in a city that is, doesn't have art within it in some way, shape or form or that you've shared that skill, that joy, added to the health and well-being of a community, added to the environment, added to the culture. Um, I mean, you cross every boundary in your works and by involving community, whether it's a tiny little one in a ward of a hospital or a great big one across the world like the surfing community or anything in between, it's absolutely vital and I think, as I said, I've learnt that don't be fearful of jumping in and then leaping and lurching. You lurch, you do lurch a lot in community because the voices will give you different directions to travel all the time and it's a lot of meandering along the way. Look, I'd like to sincerely thank these three gorgeous humans for sharing their stories so eloquently, so beautifully. I really do appreciate it. Certainly in your own practices, please be mindful of that opportunity to care for your community through your skills and you know ponder that because uh, it is immeasurable what you have to offer. So sincere thanks to all three of you once again and to the Guildhouse for giving us this opportunity. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Revision podcast series recorded on Ghana Country. This series is brought to you by Guildhouse, our supporting partners and session speakers. Please head to our website, guildhouse.org.au, for more information on the series and our artistic collaborations with and professional development opportunities for Australian artists. Revision was developed with support from Australia Council for the Arts, the Day Family Foundation and Creative Partnerships Australia and has continued through the generous philanthropic support of the Guildhouse Creative Visionaries.